A video version of this podcast is available at AboundingJoy.com and also on our YouTube pages. Hey guys, thanks for joining me in this second video of our Spiritual Warfare series. In the previous video, we looked at some key verses that teach us about our spiritual warfare from Ephesians chapter 6. And I want us to read some of that again here before we continue this study to make sure we keep these words of God in our mind. These are God's words. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. Let's stop right there for now. The first piece of armor God mentions to us here is the belt of truth. The belt of truth. The belt that a Roman soldier wore that Paul and people in the Roman Empire would have been very familiar with was a kind of a status symbol for the soldier. The soldiers would wear their Roman belts even when they weren't on duty because it set them apart. Everybody who looked at them saw these guys are different. They've accepted the high calling of Caesar to be Roman soldiers. And those guys were pretty happy about that. They wanted to be identified with Caesar's army. Well, the truth does the same for us. You realize that, right? It makes us different from people in the world today who don't know what the truth is. <laughs> it sets us apart as having set, accepted the high calling of our Lord Jesus Christ, not Caesar, but Jesus Christ to be soldiers of Christ. Now, I suspect that you already know today the world that we're living in is very, very confused about the word truth. Many people today want to talk about their truth. People talk about my truth and your truth. <laughs> I hope you understand by now that that kind of talk is just gobbledygook. It's nonsense. It doesn't make any sense. None of us get to decide what truth is. Truth is what corresponds to reality. And what we have to do is discern what the reality is. We do not get to make up our own reality in our own minds and then pretend that it's real. <laughs> Even if millions and millions of people are trying to make themselves believe they really can do that. And that's going on in our society. I realize that. In reality, they cannot. Now, I talk more about this in the second video of the Veritas 2020 series. If you haven't seen that, you might want to check it out. But the Roman soldier's belt was also extremely practical and very valuable to him. Often, uh, he carried a sword that was in a sheath that was attached to the belt. And there were often loops on the belt where you could attach a rope or maybe some rations, some food, or, or maybe some pouch or something where he could keep some of his gold or silver and he could attach that to his belt. Very practical. In fact, he also wore a breastplate that would be fastened to his belt. We'll talk more about the breastplate later. The point is, just as for the Roman soldier for whom everything else depended on him wearing that all-important belt. He had to have that belt before he went into battle. Everything else we need in our spiritual warfare depends on the belt of truth. God makes it very clear the truth, the truth, the true truth is extremely important to him. You remember what Jesus said about our enemy, the devil? This is in John chapter 8. He was talking to some Jews who refused to fully commit to him as Christ. Listen to what he said to them. Sounds pretty harsh, but listen. 
He said, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires, the devil's desires. Listen, he, the devil, was a murderer from the beginning and does not, listen to this, does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So Satan is certainly a liar, and so are his demons, and so are men, by the way. But in sharp contrast to the liar Satan, God speaks only truth. He not only speaks truth, he is the truth. And when we gird up our loins with truth, we're standing with God in God's truth, in God himself. And we're protected from one of Satan's most effective weapons. Guys, pay attention here. One of his most effective weapons is to discourage us with lies. <laughs> lies. He tries to deceive us. He tries to confuse us. He tries to blind us. He wants to keep us in a state of ignorance if he can. He wants us to persuade us if we can to trust our if he can to trust our experience. Or he wants to persuade us to trust our emotions. Or he wants to persuade us to trust our common sense or human philosophy of some kind, or logical reasoning instead of simply trusting God's word, God's truth. Satan specializes in creating misunderstanding, you see. He deceives faulty perceptions, misconceptions, misleading circumstances. He wants to keep us confused, keep us deceived, keep us defeated, keep us discouraged with his lies. <laughs> But God's given us the belt of truth, and that belt of truth will enable us to overcome all those lies. Now, I know there are many, many ways that Satan could attempt to deceive us. But it turns out that there are a few areas which seem to be especially critical here. And Satan uses some of his lies over and over again because they work so well for him. For example, if he can deceive us into having a faulty understanding of God himself or a faulty understanding about our own sin or a faulty understanding of who we are as believers in Christ or a faulty understanding of the power that's available to us in Christ or a faulty understanding of the value and power of prayer in our lives, if he can deceive us about these areas, we're in trouble. And he has been so successful, Satan has, at deceiving so many people about these things. So God's given us a weapon, a defensive weapon to combat these lies, the belt of truth. And I can put on that belt of truth by taking some time, I would say in prayer. You know, we're in, obviously in the presence of God all the time, but with a very clear consciousness of God's presence, we speak these truths to ourselves and to God, and to the devil, <laughs> with our own mouths, with our own minds, we, we remind ourselves in the presence of God, and we remind Satan of these truths. I think God's thrilled and pleased when his kids, we, remind ourselves of these truths in his presence. And so when I begin to do that, what I will see happen over and over again is the enemy's attempts to discourage me and deceive me will tend to wither away.
he's not successful because we're putting on the belt of truth, you see. By the way, if I could chase a rabbit for just a minute, you probably noticed, didn't you, that the first five weapons he mentions in Ephesians 6 are all defensive? Did you notice that? They're designed to protect us. We put these on to ward off satanic attacks because Satan is very clever. He knows how to attack. And if we don't have our defensive armor in place, he'll figure out a way to get to us with one of his schemes. He's, he's slick. But when we put on these pieces of spiritual armor, using God's word and using prayer, then we are ready to be protected against Satan by God. And there's only one offensive weapon mentioned. It's the sword. We'll get to it eventually here. But I believe what he wants us to, use, to do there is simply use scripture in prayer and to make verbal attacks against the enemy using God's word, God's word itself. We'll talk more about that. But in order to put on the belt of truth, you know, you might want to start by praying something like this. This is just a, a thought, you know, but sometimes I do this. I like to start this way myself. I say, Father, thank you that you've given me the word of truth. Your word is the word of truth. And, and thank you that you've given me your Holy Spirit, who is the spirit of truth. And thank you that Jesus is alive in me. And Jesus said he is the way and the truth, the truth, the truth in the life. And thank you that you're a God of truth. And so as I remind myself of that, I'm putting on your belt of truth. And I think if we'll just spend some time reminding ourselves in the conscious presence of God in prayer of the truth, especially where Satan attacks so frequently, we'll see a lot of his attacks totally frustrated. He won't get through. Satan will be defeated. And, and these areas, again, the truth about God, we're going to look at that one first, the truth about my sin, the truth about my identity in Christ, who I am in Jesus, and the truth about the power of God available in me and the truth about the effectiveness of prayer. That's what we're going to focus on here. So let's start by thinking about the truth about God himself. Satan would love to be able to lie to us and deceive us about God. So we need to make sure we're full of the truth about God. You realize, don't you, that there are all kinds of people out there that use the word God and they mean all kinds of different things. And so that's why people talk about my God is this way or my God is that way. And it's probably true, but their God is not the true God. You see, we've got to be serious about finding the God of truth, the God of reality. What's he like? And he reveals that to us in his word. Now, let me tell you what this means. It means praise. That's what it means. It's, it's a time of praise. Praise is just confessing the truth about God back to God. You say, well, doesn't he know or already know that? Well, of course he does. <laughs> it's, it's not primarily for him. It's to make sure we have on the belt of truth, you see. But we do that in his presence. We acknowledge who he is and what he's like. God has many ways of communicating the truth about himself in his word, as well as in his creation, by the way. But one of the ways God has chosen to reveal truth about himself in his word is by giving himself different names. And his names tell us things about his nature and about his character. Look at these Psalms. Psalm 113 verse 3 says, From the rising of the sun unto the going down of the same, the Lord's name is to be praised. Many times in Scripture we're commanded to praise the name of the Lord. Psalm 8, O Lord our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. Psalm 29, 2, give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Psalm 7, 17, I will praise the Lord according to his righteousness and will sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. Psalm 66, sing forth the honor of his 
name. Make his praise glorious. Psalm 100, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. Psalm 103, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Psalm 135, praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. Sing praises unto his name, for it's pleasant. Psalm 145, my mouth shall speak the praise of the Lord, and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. Psalm 148, let them praise the name of of the Lord. For his name alone is excellent. His glory is above the earth and heaven. Now, have you ever thought about that? You know, obviously, there's a lot of that in the scripture. Why are we told to praise his name? Why didn't he just say praise the Lord? Well, he does, of course. There are many times we're commanded in scripture, praise the Lord. But God sometimes wants us to focus on his name because he's chosen to reveal things, things that we need to know about him the truth about him through his name. His name is very powerful. And listen, Satan hates the name of the Lord. He withers in the presence of the name of the Lord when we're using his name and we know what we're doing and we're using it effectively as God's told us to by putting on the belt of truth. Let me remind you that in the Bible, a name was not just a label you hung on somebody to keep the confusing them from somebody else, you know. I mean, that, that, that wasn't what a name was all about. A name expressed the kind of person that individual was or maybe the kind of person someone hoped he or she would become. You know, the mother and dad would hope their child would be like this, and so they gave them that particular name. That's why God sometimes changed a person's name. You know, he did that pretty often in Scripture. He wanted that person's character to be reflected in his name or her name. So, just for a few examples, when Jesus changed Simon's name to Peter, he wasn't just giving Peter a new label. He was communicating truth to Peter. He's saying, basically, I'm going to change you in the flesh. You're pretty undependable. <laughs> Remember later, Peter's the one that denied Jesus. But I'm going to make you dependable, like a rock. You're going to be like a stone, a stone that's firmly attached to the foundation stone, of course, which is Jesus. So he changed his name to Peter, which means stone. Paul, which means the asked for one, which was kind of emphasizing a prideful appeal to the flesh, humbled himself and took the name Paul, which means the little one. It was a much more humble name. Jacob, the supplanter, became Israel, who strives with God. And there are many other examples. So in the case of God himself, he gives himself names that are really extensions of himself truth about himself. His names revealed his character. His names revealed his nature. So what I want us to do right now is focus for just a few minutes on some of the compound names God has given himself. But before we get there, I want us to briefly touch on four of the more general names he's given himself. Of course, these are all Hebrew words. So we're talking about words in Hebrew and what they mean in English. The first name we see is Elohim. Elohim, and the first name we find that God gives himself in the Bible is Elohim. It's in Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God, Elohim, created the heavens and the earth. It's used over 2,700 times in the Bible, so it's used a lot to refer to God. The prefix El, E-L, signifies one who is great, or one who is mighty, or one who is awesome. But Elohim is also a plural word, and it's a hint. God's giving us a hint that he's not just one person. He is one God, but he is a holy trinity, 
of persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. That's hinted at in the name Elohim because it's plural. Some also point out that that word seems to be related to a Hebrew word that means to make an oath, and it implies the covenant nature of God. So the word Elohim, when the Hebrew heard it, might have meant that mighty three-in-one God who establishes and keeps covenant forever. You know, it tells us something about God. El Shaddai is another name for God. It's used 48 times in Scripture. It's always translated the Almighty. First time it's used is in Genesis chapter 17, when Abraham was 90 years old and 9, 99, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am the Almighty God, El Shaddai. Walk before me and be perfect. This is when God changed Abram's name, by the way, to Abraham and promised that he would be the father of many nations. And God was letting Abraham know that he is powerful enough to do it. He's El Shaddai. He has the power to do what to men seemed to be totally impossible because he's making a promise it looked impossible. El Shaddai. Another name, a third one that God uses for himself is Adonai. Adonai. About 300 times in the Old Testament. The name implies lordship, ownership, the one who's the master. So when God calls himself by this name, Adonai, he's saying, I'm the one who owns and rules over and am the master of everything that exists. Adonai is the name that Isaiah used in chapter 6. Remember when he had his vision of the Lord? In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw so the Lord, Adonai, sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. His focus was on the truth that God owns and rules over all that exists. But the most frequently used name of all for God is none of those. It's Yahweh. Not Elohim, not El Shaddai, not Adonai, Yahweh. It's been transliterated in English into the word Jehovah. So sometimes you'll see the word Jehovah. Which all that is is an attempt to transliterate Yahweh into English. And that name occurs more than 6,800 times in the Bible. It is the primary name that God gives himself. There was a great Jewish commentator on the Old Testament in the Middle Ages whose name was Maimonides, Moses Maimonides. And Maimonides said this about the name Jehovah or Yahweh. And, he, and, I, and I believe he's right, otherwise I wouldn't be sharing this with you. But he said all the names for God that occur in the Scriptures are derived from his works except one, and that's Jehovah. And this is called the plain name because it teaches plainly and unequivocally of the substance of God. The word literally just means I am. It comes from the verb, which means to be or to exist. We see it in Exodus chapter 3, uh, verse 14, when Moses asked God, okay, who am I supposed to tell them sent me? <laughs> you told me to go down there and tell the Israelites that they're going to be set free. Well, who should I tell them sent me? And God said to Moses, I am that I am. Tell them I am has sent you. That's Yahweh, Jehovah. You shall say unto the children of Israel, I am has sent me unto you. So that name Yahweh, Jehovah, you know, we might translate it the eternal one or maybe the ever living one or the self-existent one. He just is. He self-exists. From eternity past to eternity future, there's no time in his existence. He just exists. 
And everything else that exists, everything that lives, everything that exists gets its life, gets its existence from him. He's the source of everything else. Now, it just so happens, when we study Scripture carefully, that God's chosen to give himself a set of compound names that are based on this primary name, Yahweh. So I want us to look at some of these. And you might find it helpful to make a chain of these verses in your Bible uh, you know, that with, without on, in the margin, maybe God's name and its meaning written there in the, in the margin. It's uh, something to consider. And what I'm going to do then is present them in the order we find them in the Bible. I'm, I'm going to try to rank them according to importance as, you say, as we get to them in the Bible. With one exception, I'm going to skip one of them and I'll come back to it, save it for last. So if you're making a chain, I'll point that out when I get there and you'll see why. The first one we come to, the first compound name is Jehovah Jireh or Yireh. It's found in Genesis 22:14. It literally means the Lord provides. When God commanded Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, you remember that? On Mount Moriah, Abraham set out to obey. He understood that he had a covenant relationship with El Shaddai. He didn't ask any questions. He just, he just decided, I'm going to obey God. And when Isaac said, Father, where's the sacrifice? Abraham answered, God will provide Jehovah Jireh. He totally trusted God. It's reasonable that he may have felt some confusion. He may have felt some bewilderment. He may have been wondering, how on earth is God going to work this out? And you remember this, this account, just as he raised the knife to kill Isaac, the angel intervened, and Abraham was shown a ram caught in a nearby thicket, and he cries out, we'll call the name of this place Jehovah Jireh, God provides. And I think you can probably catch just a little bit of the emotion that must have been in Abraham and Isaac at that moment, you know, as they realized what an awesome provider God is. Well, God wants us to realize that too. He provides for us. And we'll never have a need, not a real need, that the eternal God doesn't know how to take care of. And he will take care of it. So he's, he said, you might want to call me by that name from time to time, Jehovah Jireh. I'm the eternal God and I'm your provider. So it's not a bad idea, guys. Next time you have a need or a felt need, you can cry out to him by his name, Jehovah Jireh, God, my provider, I have a need. Now, he may know that you don't need what you think you need, you know, but when you sense a need, it's good to call him by his name. Do you remember that little song we used to sing when we were kids? We taught it to our kids when they were little, Jehovah Jireh, my provider's grace is sufficient for me, for me, for me, Jehovah Jireh. You remember that? And then he got on down there and said, My God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory. He gives his angels charge over me. Jehovah Jireh cares for me, for me, for me. Jehovah Jireh cares for me. Yeah, you can probably sing it better than I can, but it's a great little song. It's a good song to sing. It'll, it'll lift your spirits. It'll remind you that he is your provider. The second compound name we come upon in the Bible is in Exodus chapter 15, and it's Jehovah Rophe, and it means the God who heals. In Exodus 15, God said, if you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and will do what is right in his sight and will give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of these diseases upon you, which I brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. The word rofe means to heal or to restore or to cure. And so God's telling us 
it's not that I'm just going to heal you, but I am healing. I am God who is healing. I am God, your healer. And he really is constantly healing us and all of his creation. He really is. Uh, we wouldn't be living if it wasn't for the fact that God is constantly healing us. And sometimes when we're sick or when we're hurting, God just intervenes dramatically and immediately and heals. He does sometimes. Many times, especially in our day, he heals more slowly using doctors and medicine and the healing process that he's worked into the, our bodies. But in all cases, listen, guys, if you belong to Jesus, he's going to heal us completely at the resurrection. But this physical healing process is a wonderful gift from God, Jehovah Rophe. And of course, he heals us spiritually the moment we trust Jesus as our own personal Lord and Savior. So he is our healer. He's the great physician. And next time you feel physically or emotionally or spiritually sick, it's good to call on him by his name, Jehovah Rophe. And you can praise him because he's God, your healer. And if you belong to him, you can be assured that your healing will come. And that may not be when you want it to come, but it will come either in this life or in the great resurrection when Jesus returns. And some of you are saying, yeah, do I have to wait that long? Listen, listen. When we finally get there, finally from this perspective, from this side, it's going to seem just a moment. I don't care how much suffering we do between now and then. When we get to that resurrection, the suffering is going to seem so trivial and so minor. I don't care how severe it has been. So praise him for being our healer, Jehovah Rophe. Then there's Jehovah Nisi. It's found in Exodus chapter 17. It literally means God my banner or God my standard of victory. Exodus 17, 15, we read Moses built an altar and he called the name of it Jehovah Nisi. God my standard, God my banner. Here's the background. The Amalekites had refused to allow the Israelites to pass through their land like God had commanded them to, so they had to fight. Moses sent Joshua into the valley to fight the battle while Moses stood on the mountain to hold high the rod of God. You remember this account? The rod was their standard. And throughout history, it's been very common to use a standard of some kind in battle to give a sense of identity and a gathering point. It might be a flag or a banner. It might just be a very high pole, but all the soldiers knew what it was. And they, they could see it and it represented victory to them. So the next time that you're in heated spiritual warfare, remember God is Jehovah Nisi. He's the eternal God and he is our banner of victory. One way to praise him maybe with Jehovah Nisi is thank you, Jehovah Nisi. You always give me the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he tells us, isn't it, in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians? Sure. He's our source of victory. He is our victory. Next, in Leviticus chapter 20, verse 8, we find the compound name Jehovah Makadish. Jehovah Makadish. You shall keep my statutes and do them. I am the Lord who sanctifies you. That's it. Jehovah Makadish. I'm Jehovah Makadish. Literally, it means the Lord who makes you holy, the Lord who sets you apart for his personal use. That's, that's who he is. So the word Makadish was the word that was often translated holy. It was used to refer to different parts of the temple, for example, which were sanctified. They were set apart for the worship of God. They were considered holy. They were holy. In the New Testament times, you know where the temple is now, right? Yeah, we are the temple. And, and he is to us Jehovah Makadish. He's the one who makes us holy. He gave them very careful instructions for making the temple or before that, the tabernacle, holy. And well, he makes us holy. 
He separates us apart for his use. He sanctifies us. He is our holiness. So the next time you feel like, oh, man, I'm not fit to serve God. I've messed up too many times. Just remember, you don't make yourself holy. You don't make yourself fit to serve. It's Jehovah Makadish, God. He's our holiness. The next name is found in Judges chapter 6. It's Jehovah Shalom. Here's the context. Israel was being oppressed by the Midianites. This time, the angel of the Lord, who was actually the pre-incarnate Christ at this point, was sent from God to Gideon to remind him that the Lord was with him and that God was going to use Gideon to deliver Israel. And at first, if you remember this account, Gideon didn't recognize the Lord for who he was, and he argued with him. <laughs> he couldn't understand their situation. But when he finally did realize that he had been in the presence of God himself, he was terrified. He thought he was going to die. You and I would probably feel the same way. But God spoke peace to him in verse 23. And in verse 24, uh, Gideon built an altar. And he named it after this name of God, Jehovah Shalom. God is our peace. Let's read that beginning of verse 22. Then Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. And Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for now I've seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace be to you. Do not fear. You shall not die. Then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, The Lord is peace. Jehovah Shalom. To this day it still stands at Ophrah, which belongs to the Abiezrites. So the nation was at war with the Midianites, but Gideon learned that not only does God give peace, God is our peace. He is Jehovah Shalom. And, and that's a wonderful name of God. Next time you're in a time of stress or turmoil or fear, anxiety, tension, worry, try praising him as Jehovah Shalom. He is God our peace. Okay. Let me just give you a warning here. If you are really making a chain as we work through these compound names, I'm going to skip over one right now and come back to it. So you might want to make a note somewhere else and remember that this is, if you want to keep the chain in biblical order anyway, you may want to add this one later. You'll see why. So let's skip over to Jeremiah 23. The background in Jeremiah 23 is very tragic because Josiah had instituted some reforms and revival had come to Judah to a certain extent. But there was wickedness still deeply entrenched, and the spiritual leaders of all people had lied to the people and scattered the flocks of God. And in verses 5 and 6, God promises that there's a better day coming. Now, what he's doing here is giving him a prophecy of the Messiah. It's an awesome prophecy of the Messiah. Many of them, of course, in the Old Testament. But he says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch. Talk about Jesus. And a king, King Jesus, shall reign and prosper and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. In his days, Judah shall be saved and Israel shall dwell safely. And this is his name, whereby he shall be called the Lord, our righteousness. There it is. The Lord, our righteousness. In the Hebrew, it's Jehovah Tzidkenu. Jehovah Tzidkenu, God is righteous. He is our righteousness. Now, he demands righteousness from us. That's very clear in his scripture. But he tells us in this verse that what he requires of us, that we be righteous, he becomes to us and for us. He is our righteousness. He makes this clear through Paul in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We're told that Jesus Christ has become to us 
righteousness. And in him, we are declared to be righteous, righteous in Jesus. It's a gift. Second Corinthians five, we read for our sake. He made him to be sin as Jesus who knew no sin. He was perfectly innocent, but he took sin on himself, our sin, so that in him, listen, we might become the righteousness of God. He is our righteousness. This truth is so important that God gives us another whole piece of armor to underline it. We'll look at it soon when we get to the breastplate of righteousness. But listen, Satan wins many victories when we don't realize that our God is Jehovah Tzidkenu. When we fail, when we stumble, when we sin against God, Satan will inevitably and invariably try to tell us, you, you're no good, you're so worthless, you're so weak, you're so guilty, you're so insufficient, you can't do anything for God, God can't use you, you're not serious or you wouldn't fall into that sin again. And, and of course, we have to learn to repent and confess our sin to God, but then immediately we accept the fact that, Lord, thank you for the gift of your righteousness. Jehovah Tidkenu, you are my righteousness. You've declared me to be righteous. It's a gift. It's a gift. And so we can go on and serve him with boldness, not because of what we've done, not because of our righteousness, but his righteousness. Now, the last verse in the book of Ezekiel is Ezekiel 48, 35, and we have another compound name of God. Look at this. The last part of the vision of Ezekiel was a new city with a new temple. It was going to be glorious. And the last words of this verse tell us the name of the city. In Hebrew, it's named a compound name of God, Jehovah Shama. It tells us that he is the eternal God who is there. That's what it means. He is here. He's there. He's wherever you are. He's there. So where's God today? He's here. He's the God who's with us. Now stay with me here for just a minute. You remember God showed his presence by showing up as a fiery presence at the tabernacle and later at the temple. And in Ezekiel's day, that fire left the temple, but it returned on the day of Pentecost. After Jesus had conquered sin and death and Satan and risen from the dead to prove it, then on the day of Pentecost, that fire came back. And you know where it was, right? You remember? It wasn't in a temple. No, it was on the heads of the men and women who had just become temples of God themselves. That's what the New Testament teaches us. Now God lives in us, not in a building somewhere. He lives in us. That's true for all of us who are trusting Jesus. He's here and he's promised never to leave us. Over and over again, he promises that. So the next time you feel alone, remember who he is and praise him. He's Jehovah Shammah. He's the eternal God who's here. Now I want us to go back to the one I skipped. It's in the 23rd Psalm. You'll see now why I skipped it. 23rd Psalm is an amazing Psalm of David. I hope you've memorized it. If you haven't, you really ought to make that a goal. Before too much longer, memorize the 23rd Psalm. Just a few verses. And it's a favorite psalm of many, many people. Many people like to hear it on their deathbed. Many people want it read at their funerals. Very powerful psalm. You're going to see why. But we definitely ought to have it memorized. And it begins with these words. The Lord is my shepherd. <laughs> the Lord is my shepherd. In the Hebrew, it's a compound name. Jehovah Rohi. The eternal God is my shepherd. What's a shepherd do? Well, he, he's our guide. He leads us. He feeds us. He comforts us. He protects us. There's no other name of God that carries the tenderness that Jehovah Rohi carries or the intimacy, the closeness that we have with him. 
He is our eternal good shepherd. And when we need to be reminded the Lord is taking care of us like a shepherd taking care of his sheep, we can come to the 23rd Psalm and praise him because he is Jehovah Rohi. He is, he is the Lord our shepherd. But I want us to look just a little more closely at this brief Psalm. Look at these words. The Lord is my shepherd. He's Jehovah Rohi, our shepherd. I shall not want. Now that of course, it's what a shepherd does, but does it remind you of another name of God? Of course it does, Jehovah Jireh. He's our provider. A shepherd does that. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. Does that remind you of one of the other compound names of God? How about Jehovah Shalom? You know, that's a peaceful picture, isn't it? Green pastures, still waters, lying down in peace. He's Jehovah Shalom. Verse 3, he restores my soul. That reminds us he's Jehovah Rophe. He's our healer. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. That reminds us that he's Jehovah Tzidkenu. He is God our righteousness. Verse 4, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you're with me. You're with me, Jehovah Shammah. He's here. He's there. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Jehovah Nisi, our standard of victory over our enemies. You anoint my head with oil. Jehovah Makadish, our holiness, our sanctification. Anointing with oil always symbolized being set apart, sanctified, made holy. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So isn't that a beautiful thing? What a wonderful, amazing God we serve. He's given us all these names to remind us of his character, to remind us of who he is and what he's like. And I'd just like to encourage you and challenge you to learn these compound names of God and to use them when you're alone with him as an expression of praise to him. The more you get to know him, the better you get to know him, and the more you speak the truth about him using his names, for example, you'll, you'll have a closer, more intimate relationship with him and more fellowship with him, and you'll realize what a wonderful, all-loving, all-wise, all-powerful Heavenly Father he really is. And listen, guys, here's the, here's the beauty of this. This is the belt of truth. It's part of the belt of truth. Satan hates this stuff. He doesn't want to hear us talking about God like this. He's allergic to praise. Is directed directed to the true God. He can't. Satan can't stand it. And if we develop a lifestyle of praising the Lord, keeping that belt of truth in place. Now, there's more to it. We'll pick it up here next time. But we'll find that God is very powerfully enabling us to stay in the battle and fight off the enemy's deceptions. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the belt of truth. Lord, we know there's a lot more to it than we've looked at here. But but we thank you for what you've already revealed to us about yourself in your wonderful amazing names. So thank you for being Jehovah and thank you for all your incredible character, your nature, the way you are. And thank you for revealing that to us. Lord, you didn't have to reveal yourself to us like this, but you have. And we thank you so much that you've chosen to reveal yourself to us so that we can know what you're like. And Lord, we thank you for commanding us to put on the belt of truth so that as we put that belt of truth on, Satan flees. We can stand firm against his lies and his deceptions and his discouragements by keeping our focus on you, praising you, speaking forth the truth about you, 
in ways that will bring you a lot of glory. So teach us how to do this well. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.